I don't know if you guys uh, saw um, this story. It was on AOL News. It was regarding a future poll. Um, and basically what they did was they uh, polled Americans, like, what do you think is going to happen in, in you know, the next 40 years or, or 50 years? And um, uh, according to the poll right here, 64% of the respondents said they were optimistic for their lives and uh, 61% were optimistic for the future. But you may look at that and think, well, that's kind of cool, but it's actually down 20%. And so things are definitely changing. Um, according to the survey right here, 81% said computers will probably be able to converse like humans. I don't know how that's going to happen. But, you know, that's a big thing nowadays. Uh, I, it's in the movies, and believe it or not, a lot of philosophers are going in that direction. Uh, 71% said there will be a cure for cancer. Uh, Aaron was asking me that the other day. Dad, do you think there'll be a cure for cancer? And I said, man, I sure hope so. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was God's will. Now, 66% expected artificial limbs that outperform natural ones. Did you guys ever see The Bionic Man, that show a long time ago? <laughs> Stuff like that. Uh, 63% said that astronauts will land on Mars. 50% said we will find evidence of life elsewhere in the universe. But a couple of things I thought were interesting. 48% said that humans will be cloned, but 42% said that scientists will be able to tell thoughts from brain scans and in looking at this, we see that 48% said that eventually humans will be embedded with computer chips. I thought, hey, that's kind of interesting. Not only that, but it said right here in looking at this, it said in the end, Americans are divided on one other important subject, which we associate with the end of the world. And according to this poll, 25% uh, expect Jesus Christ to show up by the year 2050. And I think it's going to be a lot sooner. How about you, man? <laughs> you know, and this is just non-Christian, secular people. And, uh, you know, you look around in our world today and you see they want to build a mosque over there and the ground zero. I mean, they want to open it up on September 11th. I mean, just so many crazy things are going on. This oil spill, things in Israel that we really need to make sure that we're ready for the return of the Lord and that we're close to Him. That's the best way we can be ready. You know, not just going to church uh, and not just reading your Bible and praying. Those are important things. But you know, some people, they read their Bible and they pray every day and they're really not like Christ. Sometimes I think that we think that that's good enough. It's not. You have to have the love of God in you. And you have to love other people. You have to be busy doing things, bearing fruit for God, not just, you know, doing the religious stuff. It's very important. I was watching a, a debate. Any of you guys see that debate between Dennis Prager and Frank Pastore? Any of you here? Uh, it was pretty, pretty interesting. Dennis Prager is a Jew. He's a real, real smart guy, uh, very articulate. He's probably... Uh, brilliant, to be honest with you, man. And, and aren't the Jewish people special? Uh, they really are. But he was talking about Christians. And he was talking about how Christians, you know, he, he, he doesn't have a problem with their beliefs, really. But he has a problem, he said, with oftentimes their, their behavior. Because for the Jews, it's all about your life. It's all about your fruit. It's all about your, you know, your works. And, you know, we know that that doesn't save us. But I think sometimes as Christians, we neglect 
to bear that fruit. We neglect to realize the importance of that. And so I really, really encourage you guys, man, to, to really have that love, the love of God in your life, to love everybody. That's what God calls us to do. You know, along those lines, um, one of the groups that we're trying to love is the girls over in Mexico who are caught up in prostitution. And it's actually uh, by coercion. They're forced over there in Mexico, these girls. And so, you know, thank God for the, uh, the association we have with the ministry over there to be able to open up a home and to bring these girls uh, that are wanting to get out and to give them a place where they can learn about Christ and be discipled in their walks with the Lord. And so just in case you're wondering, there's now six girls in the home. And Lord willing, during the summer, we'll be able to go down there more consistently. If God begins to stir your heart, maybe as a brother, you can go down there and do some work. And so you need to get your passport. And maybe as a sister, you can go down there and, and step out of your comfort zone, maybe, and minister to these girls. Now, one thing I want to ask you, though, is we need to pray. Right now, it's kind of a critical juncture uh, that we would get a long-term lease for the house. That way, it, everything would kind of come together. And so if you can make that specific prayer request, that the Lord would allow us to get a lease there in that house and so that we can build a wall and we can just everything will kind of come together in that and so i want to let you know about that i talked to Stephen yesterday and i talked to pastor juan as well and so i'm planning on going down there for a, a few days maybe even a week and just kind of hanging out and um, having some tacos and stuff like that so uh, if anyone wants to join me man let me know but let's open up our bibles today to deuteronomy chapter 6 As today we look at the most important verse or commandment in the whole Bible, believe it or not, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but some say that the book of Deuteronomy was Jesus' favorite book because of the fact that he quoted from it most frequently. And so it's a blessing studying this book together with you. But look what we read here in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes, and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Now again, in looking at this, remember the context and remember even the covenant. And that'll be important as we bring personal application today. But Moses is there. He's giving the children of Israel their instructions just prior to their entrance into the promised land. And he says, man, you know, this is the command. This is the word of the Lord. He gave it to me. I'm going to teach it to you. You got to teach it to your kids and then to your grandkids. And hopefully it just passes on from generation to generation to generation. Because when you begin to live that type of life, number one, it allows you possession of the land. You, you get to enter into the land by possession. And then it prolongs your days in the land. And that's what we talked about last week, and I think we're probably going to be talking about that a lot in the book of Deuteronomy, is that, you know, the blessing doesn't, you know, necessarily mean that by works we're saved, but by works we're 
blessed, you know, in, in that law of the Lord. He says, if you stay within these parameters that I'm giving to you, um, the obedience doesn't save you, but the obedience will allow you to enjoy the land. And I think for us as Christians, that's really what we want. You know, God's given us, I, I think, 10,000 taste buds so we can enjoy in and out. And uh, God's given us uh, a, a life that we can live on earth, that when we do it, not perfectly, but properly, that we can actually have a, a life of laughter, a life of joy, a life of um, peace, a life of not only exalting God, but enjoying God. And God wants to bless you. But a lot of times, because we're not obeying his commands, he kind of tie his hands. And so the Lord says, here we are. Here's the word of God. Let's live according to his standards. Moses here was commanded to teach the people that they might listen, learn, and then to go out and to live. And just as a quick side note, I always tell you guys this, it's not enough to go to the Bible study. It's not enough to go to the men's study or the women's study or whatever study. You've got to go out and live it. You know, and that's what Moses says right here, that you may observe them, he says, in verse 1. Later, in verse 3, he says, Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it. And that's talking about living the life and the laws of the Lord. You know, when you study the Bible, one thing you're going to definitely get, man, is a fear of God. I know I do when I read the Bible. And that's what he says right here. That's what would happen to them. He says there in verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God. You know, you fear him, you reverence him, and you realize that God does spank those disobedient children. You know, Ecclesiastes 12, I like what Solomon said in verse 13. You know, he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And I like that when you give me a summary of it, because that's pretty much all I can retain, right? And he says, listen, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Why? For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so we see here in verse 3, Moses says, Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I've shared with you guys before that land of milk and honey is everything you need and everything you want. And that want, of course, is when your desires are lined up with the desires of the Lord, that he gives you the desires of your heart. And that was something I just kind of came up with. But it was kind of cool because reading the commentaries, they said the same thing. And I said, cool, Lord. You know, that milk is what we need. And, and when you do what's right, uh, when you obey the word of the Lord, He'll give you what you need. But then the cool thing is as, as you fall in love with the Lord, he'll even give you the desires of your heart. And so Moses here says, be careful to observe it. And we've seen this over and over again, that it may be well with you. And here he says something different, that you may multiply greatly. This is the first time we see this in the book of Deuteronomy. But it says right here, as the Lord God of your fathers promised. And so, you know, walk carefully because it can be dangerous if you don't. 
Every day, every decision needs to be brought under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because you make your decisions, and if you do it flippantly, you're going to fall into some hard times. I've told you many times, you make your decisions, and then your decisions make you. Be careful the words you say. You can't take them back. You have to make sure that you walk carefully with the Lord. God will bless. Here we see he's speaking to the children of Israel. And that's, you know, an amazing thing how God does that, how God would multiply them. And uh, we know that there is that growth for the nation. And I think for us, there's the growth as individuals. You know, we really should be growing. We really should be going forward. And day by day, and as the months go by, and maybe even the years, that there's a transformation and that we're more and more like Jesus Christ. Not religious, not, you know, looking down and judging the rest of the world, but like the Lord, growing into His image. We have to be so careful that we don't become legalistic. And we have to be so careful that we don't become hedonistic. We have to be so careful that we stay right on with the Lord. Because there's always the inclination to go too far to the right, so to speak, or too far to the left. God wants to multiply us. And for us as a church, you know, maybe God will give us more people. And that would be wonderful, to be honest with you. It would be so cool if the Lord brought the whole city of Almighty and God just started blessing His church in that way. But, you know, just looking at you individually individually that's to me i'm overwhelmed when i see how this individual came from that lifestyle and now they're living for the lord and they're no longer higher or, or drinking or doing the drugs or you know they're trying to be that husband they're trying to be that wife whatever the case may be but that you would grow that we would grow individually and that's what the lord will do he says here's my word not good enough just to to go to the study you go out and you connect the dots and you begin to live the life. You know, the Lord had promised Abraham that he would bless him. In Genesis 22, verse 17, I like this. He says, blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And I love that. You know, when you think about the promise that God gave to Abraham, and you know, Abraham didn't really see it in his lifetime, huh? He didn't. You know, he had, um, you know, one son of promise. The other one wasn't even counted by the Lord. And so just think about it. God says, I'm going to bless your life because you live a life of obedience, right? Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham really was a man of faith, even though he faltered. And so God blessed him, especially after he, he tested him in Genesis chapter 22, when God said, take now your son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac, and go and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Now, that was a test to see whether or not Abraham loved God more than anyone or anything else. Because in Isaac, all his promises, all his dreams, all, everything was wrapped up in Isaac. And God said, take him and sacrifice him. And Abraham went. He went up to Mount Moriah and he was willing to obey God 
even to that extent. And maybe for some of you here, you know, you're being tested. Do you really love God more than anyone or anything? Do you really love God more than your own life? Well, when Abraham was tested in that and he passed the test, God said, man, because of what you just did, he said, I'm going to bless you. And your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. Now, we can't see the stars here, but there's a lot of them out there. You go camping, you're going to see a gazillion stars, you know. And then there's the sand underneath you. And so Abraham, even though he didn't see it in his own lifetime, he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so every time he'd walk out there and he'd see the stars, he'd be like, wow, God's going to do great work. And every time he'd step on the sand, he was reminded of the promises of God. And I want to encourage you guys to be reminded of the promises of God in your life. It really is worth it to obey him. You may not see it now, but it will follow you in your life and the life of your children. Right here in verse 3, he says to walk carefully so that you can be multiplied greatly. And he also kind of has hidden in that verse right there to be maintaining humility. Because notice again, it says there in verse 3, he's talking to the children of Israel. Hear, O Israel, be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers, of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, why would God bless Israel? Is it because they were so good? Not really, huh? We know that when we look at Israel in the wilderness, uh, there was kind of a, a tendency to disobedience. And they tested God numerous times. God had to actually kill, you know, the, all those who were 20 years old and above until he cleaned house. And then he brought them to the land. And even then, they really weren't worthy of the blessings. But ultimately, it comes down to this. Now, we need to maintain our obedience and we have a certain responsibility to walk in the ways of the Lord. But ultimately, you want to know why God will bless you? Because of Jesus. That's why. And ultimately, the reason why God would bless Israel is because of their fathers. Had God had made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, And you know what that did to the children of Israel or what it should have done? It should have kept them humble. It really should have. You know, Warren Wiersbe said this, there was a danger that the new generation would become proud and think that God had blessed them because they were better than previous generations. Moses reminded them that their blessings came from the Lord because of his covenant with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As a matter of fact, I think we see this over in verse 10, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, look what it says in verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities. Again, notice it was there because of their fathers. God had made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so he was going to bless Israel. What that would do, that would give them an element of humility and also, I think, an element of hope. Warren Bruce, you said, believers today need to be reminded that all our blessings come to us because of God's eternal covenant with his son. We aren't blessed because of what we are in and of ourselves, but because of what we are 
in Christ. And so I encourage you today to take comfort in that. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you in Jesus? Well, as a result of that, man, there is something going on that is special, that is precious, that is beautiful, that is wonderful. And so you stay, you stay right there where you belong. In verse 4, we have the Shema. One of the most important verses in the whole Bible. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We just sang that song, huh? Did you guys sing that song? But is that your life? Yeah, I sang this song. But is that your life? You know, here we see the Shema, uh, something so important to the Orthodox Jews. After the uh, Orthodox Jews came into existence, they would recite the Shema uh, in the morning. They would recite it in the evening. As a matter of fact, uh, as soon as your children could learn to talk, that would be the pretty much the first words that they would say. Not daddy or mommy, but... You know, the Shema, from what I understand. And what it meant, and again, we've seen this in Deuteronomy, really, I don't know if you guys have caught this yet, but really one of the main warnings to them is they were going from a monotheistic belief into a pluralistic worldview. They would be going into the land, and that was the way the world was then, where it's not just one God, it's many gods. It's not monotheism. It is pluralism. And that's why they, this verse right here was so important to them. Again, in verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What a difference from what we see today and the trend in the world today. Have you guys ever seen this, uh, this uh, bumper sticker right here, Coexist? Have you guys seen that? That right there is the push of the world today that says, hey, you know, you know, they're all the same. You know, it doesn't matter if it's uh, Islam or Judaism or paganism or Confucianism, Buddhism, Christianity. Um, they're all the same. And there's this coexistence. And you'll see it if you send your kids to high school, if you send them to, you know, secular colleges, there is a huge push for pluralism now. And, you know, they all have, they say, you know, the, the similarities. And so let's not be so divisive over religion. And yet, uh, when you read Deuteronomy 6, that's exactly what the Lord was addressing. That there's only one God and his name right here in your Bible, it should be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that is God's name, Yahweh, Jehovah, whichever way you want to say it, his personal covenant name. And he says, hey, I'm the only God and there is no other. And so think about it, man. Every day you wake up basically in the morning and you say, Jehovah is God, the only God. And then at evening you say the same thing. Jehovah is God, the only God. And you say that every day of your life. And, you know, you even say that, you know, the first thing you learn, you know, part of the reason they believe 
that it would be the first words that the kids would say is because when your kids were, you know, in the tummy, when mommy was pregnant, you know, daddy would speak to the tummy. It looked weird, but <laughs> he'd say it, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. And I think it's cool to get them when they're young to understand those type of things. As a matter of fact, probably one of the few things that I like about the Catholic Church is their emphasis on the Trinity. Remember that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You remember that? Now, I don't want to cast a spell on myself. I don't think that's necessary. But, you know, sometimes I think in the Christian church, there's not really the emphasis on the Trinity that needs to be there. The Jews from a young age, they learn there's only one God and his name is Jehovah God. And so they would say it in the morning. They would say it in the evening. They would say it as soon as they could learn to talk. It's not many roads that lead to heaven. There's only one way, right? And we know that when we read the Old Testament, we see that ultimately it came to a head in the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys are going to hear that mantra. And for most of you here, I think you know. But just in case there are some of you here, you're not aware of this. Let me tell you straight and clear from John 14:6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't go through Buddha. Can't go through Muhammad. Can't be a good person. It's got to be through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says right there, as a result of that, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now we know this is the greatest commandment of all. Uh, Jesus said that in Mark 12, verse 28 through 30, when the scribe came and he heard Jesus reasoning, he said, uh, to Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first commandment of all is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. As a matter of fact, when you read the New Testament, you find that that right there actually summarized the entire law. Now, from what I understand, in the New Testament, there are still 800 commands in the New Testament. And so even in the New Testament, there's a lot. But you can summarize it all by that command to love the Lord with everything that you are. And then even underneath that, but within that, is to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, when I think of the Deuteronomy verse in verse 5, how it says to love the Lord with all your heart and soul and, and strength, I think it might be good even to get a little deeper. You know, you don't want to walk away real vague. What does that mean to you? Well, I think when I look at this, number one, to love the Lord your God with all your soul is to love him personally. To love him personally. Your soul is you. And to love him personally, to have that relationship, that it's not just a religion. You know, I don't just go to the church service and, and do those things. I love the Lord personally, right? And then secondly, it says to love the Lord with all your strength. I think that speaks of our intensity, you know, and for some of us here, you know, I don't know how you were in, in maybe sports or, or maybe your work ethic, but you know how it is when you're giving 110%, huh? You know the difference, huh? You know, I had, remember some friends, man, and they just wouldn't hustle. 
And the coach would always get on them. Man, what's, what's your problem? Why, why don't you give 110%? And that was in sports. And then I had a friend, and I remember, oh, kind of the same guy, to be honest with you, Paul Saragusa. Don't tell him I told you this, but man, he wouldn't work. There was no hustle in him. There was no intensity within him. And I think that when you love the Lord with all your soul, you're loving him personally. And when you're loving the Lord with all your strength, you're loving him with intensity. And then when you love the Lord with all your heart, again, these things are intertwined, but I think you're loving him deeply. Because your heart is the center. It's, it's the real you. And you're loving him deeply and you're loving him genuinely. Remember, you guys, um, every day is Valentine's Day, so to speak. This is all about a love relationship between you and God. Never forget that. Please, never, ever forget that. In verse 6, notice what he says. And these words which I command you today, he said, shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down. And when you rise up. You want to pass them on to your kids. You want to pass them on to your grandkids. Hopefully you have that opportunity. And you have a good relationship with your own kids. So that you can do that, right? It's a great privilege to do that. But first, it has to be in your own heart. Not in your head. But this word of God, he says... It has to be in your heart. And once it's there, we are just overwhelmingly just motivated. I pray that you guys have this, you know, to really make sure that you take care of your family. You. You know, thank God for the church and the classes that they have. But you know what? That right there is just skimming the surface, man. I mean, God sometimes does a great work. It could be a study we have here or whatever on a Friday or whatever. But generally speaking and overwhelmingly speaking, the responsibility is going to be with the parents there in the house because they learn by example. And they learn as you're going through life and you're taking them through the everyday situations. See, it's the parents' responsibility to teach the word to their children and hopefully to their grandchildren. And I say that because that's what the Bible says. So don't you know, let go of your grandchildren and think, oh, it's them. No, if you have an inroad there, man, go for it. You know, Teach your children, teach your grandchildren, maybe even your great-grandchildren. That would be really cool. Anyways, and to do so, it says right here, always. And in everyday settings and sittings and situations... And demonstrations, he talks about when you're sitting down on the couch and when you're walking. And I do encourage you, sit with them. Sit down with them. I know everybody's busy, but say, hey, pull up a chair. You know, sit with them. And then after dinner, say, hey, let's go for a walk. Oh, no, I got to watch TV, you know, or I got to play video games. No, go for a walk. You need the exercise, okay? I love going for a walk with my family because you talk. I mean, you, you talk. It's awesome when you sit and and when you walk and when you go to sleep at night, right before you go to sleep at night, you tell them a story from the Bible. You pray with them. You share with them things 
of the Lord. And then when you wake up in the morning, there are some opportunities there, I think, that are very clear. You know, what I try to do with my kids, and we don't do it every day, but, you know, I try to sit them down, and when they're having breakfast, I go and I have a bowl of cereal and I read them the Proverbs. But, you know, you not only are teaching them through verbal instruction, I think that is part of our responsibility, but obviously it's just through living life, you know. And that's a lot, I think, of what this verse is all about. You know, we want to do it in everyday settings and situations because I think a lot of times those are the most powerful lessons that they'll learn. You want to seize opportunities and you even want to create opportunities. Probably the best times of teaching my children are the times when they ask me questions. Okay, when your kids ask you a question, let your antennas just fly. Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes Aaron will ask me a question. Oftentimes he'll ask me a question, right? And, and then there's just this temptation, you know, you're so busy doing whatever it is that you're doing and you don't take it seriously. But he'll ask me a question about the Lord and he'll ask me questions about the Word and he'll ask me questions about life. And if he's asking me a question, right there is an opportunity that I am going to jump on. I've learned that over the long haul. And you have to seize those opportunities and create opportunities. John Corson talked about his brother Dave and he said that every time Dave would go anywhere, whether it was the post office or 7-Eleven or the hardware store, he would always take one of his kids purposely so that he could then spend time with them and have conversations with them about the Lord. And you know, those opportunities are so wonderful. You know, Aaron right now, and please don't blame this on me, but, but he loves sports, man. I don't know how it happened, but he loved, he just is, a, you know, wants to watch the Angels and he hopes the Dodgers lose and all this stuff, you know. And I don't know how that happened, but you know what? Um, I'm trying to, you know, help him with that. Um, but he was just kind of rubbing it in how the Dodgers have been losing lately to me, man. And he's like, Dad, yeah, they played the Angels. I don't know if they won today, but I know they lost to the Angels five straight games. And he's just rubbing it in really hard, you know. And so what the Lord ministered to me, I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? Why are the Dodgers losing to the Angels? And I know all of you Angels fans say because they're better. Okay, no. What ends up happening in sports and in the world, I think, is that you lose confidence. You know, you, you kind of lose confidence and, um, you know, you can go on a, on a just a, a tailspin when you don't have confidence. And so I was telling Aaron, I think that's what happened. I think they're kind of lost their confidence when it comes to the angels. But then what I did is that I kind of wove it into a spiritual lesson. And I said, you know, for us as Christians, though, it, it, it's a little different, but it's a little similar. You know, uh, we don't have any confidence in our flesh. There's no confidence in the flesh. Philippians chapter 3 says that. But we have confidence in the Lord. And when you have confidence in the Lord, then you win. That's faith. And I was trying to tell Aaron, see, that's what the angels have been doing lately. (laughs) And that's what the Dodgers need to do. That's what we need to do. And anyways, all I'm saying is this, that you create those opportunities And when you do that, it's so cool. You can weave the Lord in to all those different times. You know, and it can be quiet time together. It could be family devotions. It can and it should be scheduled events on the calendar. But 
there's no doubt that it's expanded to a lifestyle of lessons and that you show them at the right age, even in your own life, you know, the things that go on. For example, one guy was reading about this. At the right age, you'd let your children know how you give to the Lord. You know, there was a time where, you know, we're writing our tithing check or whatever it is, and I would never let my kids see. And I just thought, no way, you know, that I don't want, you know, my right hand to know what my left hand is doing. But then the Lord, he ministered to me, he said, but they got to know how to tie. And they got to know the different things that you do. And you take them on service assignments and missions trips. And basically all of life becomes a class when it comes to us as parents. I read one story. It was titled Catch of a Lifetime. And this guy describes a defining moment in the life of his son who would one day be a man. And he tells of one day when his 11-year-old boy eagerly anticipating the opening of bass season, was out there at 10 o'clock at night with his father, and they were practicing their casting there in the lake, right? And then suddenly, when he's practicing his casting, all of a sudden his pole doubles over because he had hooked something, and it was something that was heavy. And so the excitement that followed was incredible. And uh, he says, but it was nothing compared to the great fish that was then lifted up from the water minutes later. And he said it was the largest bass the boy or his father had ever seen. And so the father, he lit a match and he looked at his uh, watch as the little boy, you know, lifts up this fish. And then he made a stinging announcement and he told his son, you got to put it back. You got to put it back, son. He says, because bass season is two hours away. And so his son said, just two hours, no one's here, no one's looking, no one will know the difference. But the father insisted, put the fish back, son. And so at the time of the writing, the incident occurred, and he wrote about this 40 years later. Never again would the boy catch such a magnificent fish. But what he did catch that day was something much better. It was a lesson in the laws of the Lord. You see, and as you're going through life, you seize those opportunities when you're sitting, when you're lying, when you're walking in the morning, at night. As parents, I really encourage you, you know, and you could be teaching your nephews and you could be teaching your cousins and you could be, you know, that kid over there around the corner. But you look for those opportunities in order to teach them the ways of the Lord. Again, he says right there, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. One last thing before we leave this verse. William McDonald said, many Christian parents take this passage as a mandate to teach their own children not only the faith, but also other so-called secular subjects rather than sending them to humanistic schools. And so for those of you men who can homeschool, I would encourage you not only to, you know, uh, you know, see if it kind of happens, but man, if you can make it happen, you be the one to teach them. God would just, I think, honor that. You know, the schools nowadays, man, it's just, it's pretty crazy what's going on out there. You know, and I understand that maybe you can't do it, um, but maybe it's a choice that you're making. 
I encourage you to bring that before the Lord. You know, I've seen some kids that go to public school, they love Jesus. Sometimes they outlove some of these kids that are homeschooled. And so that's not always a slam dunk. But I encourage you right here. He says, you, parents, you teach them. And so that's according to the scriptures. We need to make sure, like William Kilpatrick said, that we don't rely on culture to reinforce home values. In fact, he said, we can expect that many of the cultural forces influencing our children will actively undermine those values. And so we need to search our hearts. You know, some of you here as parents, maybe you look at this and maybe you have regrets. Or maybe your kids are even like, uh, like middle, you know, like there. Uh, one of the uh, things I read was a Chinese proverb. Chinese proverb, it says this. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. <laughs> but the second best time is now. Okay, so don't look back and beat yourself up because that will hinder you now. Today, let's do the work of the Lord. And so we read next in verse 8, it says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Lord really wanted them to remember these things, right? And so it's kind of interesting. He talks about binding them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, we don't know if this is supposed to be taken literally, but the Jews did take this literally. As a matter of fact, we have a couple of pictures right there. See the little boxes? Those are called phylacteries. And they literally tied them around their head, you know. We have phylacteries not only on their head, but if you go to the next picture, they had phylacteries on their, on their hands or their arms right there. And so they took it literally, right? Not only that, he talks about right there putting them on the doorposts of your house. And so the next uh, picture we have is of mezuzahs. And in those little boxes right there, they, you know, would put them next to your doorpost. Um, and when you walk in the house, you touch it for good luck. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if the Lord necessarily wanted it that way. Um, although sometimes those icons, in one sense, they can serve as a reminder. But I think, and some commentators believe, that what the Lord was really talking about is when you bind them on your hand or you bind them right here between the frontlets of your eyes, He's talking about your works. And when you're living life, the things that you do and the way that you think, everything has to be conducted. How? By the word of the Lord. And so we see here in verse 10, man, I can't believe it's already 830. So it shall be, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, Hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and you shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. The Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you 
and destroy you from the face of the earth. And there's that warning right there regarding how when we get blessed, a lot of times what ends up happening is we forget the Lord. And so he says, man, be so careful with that. You know, a lot of times when you're prosperous and things are going good, believe it or not, um, sometimes that's the most dangerous times. And so some of you here are like, well, I'm not prosperous. (laughs) I'm not doing all that good. And you know what? A lot of times that does is it keeps you at the foot of the cross. And so, you know what? I think we just have to always thank God. We just always have to thank him for the things that he does, whether we're abasing or abounding, Paul said, I've learned in all things to be content. In verse 16, he says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Masa. There was tortillas in the Old Testament. No, I'm just joking. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do his right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. Now, I know we're running you know, short on time, but I think this is an important point, you guys. You know, he's telling them, don't test the Lord like the children of Israel did in, in Massa. Now, if you go to Exodus chapter 17, you find the whole context right there. And what had happened is that after all that God had done, they came to a point where there was no water. And so they started freaking out and they started just questioning whether or not the Lord was among them. As a matter of fact, we read in Exodus 17, verse 7, he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying this, is the Lord among us or not? And, you know, when you go through the hard times and you go through these times where basically, you know, you're you're at the very edge and you feel like you have no answers. A lot of times you might be tempted to wonder, Lord, are, are, are you with me? Lord, are are you even there? And God, he wants you to know those of you who know the Lord. I mean, he brought you out of Egypt. And can I say something to you? That if he brought you out of Egypt, that no matter what you're going through, you need to know that he's with you. And that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Not for a moment. He's in full control. He's on the throne. And so he says, don't tempt them like they did in Massa. Now, William McDonald said to doubt God's care and goodness is to tempt him. I know we go through hard times, but in the deepest part of your heart, you got to know that your God, he's with you. And so we read next, it says right here in verse, uh, where are we at, you guys? Is it verse 20, 17? Okay, we'll start in verse 17. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God his testimonies and his statutes, which he commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good. Notice in the Lord's sight, right? In the sight of the Lord. Again, that it may be well with you, that you may go in and possess the good land, 
which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. And when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and all the household. And then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. And so God wants us to do what? He wants us to be diligent in obedience, to be diligent in keeping the commands. He says right here that it might go well with you. And that's a phrase that's found nine times in the book of Deuteronomy, that it may go well with you and your children after you. And so God communicates through Moses that in order for things to go well, to possess the land, to prolong your days in the land, to enjoy the milk, maybe even chocolate milk, honey, they needed to be what? People of obedience. And he says, one day when your kids are, you know, they're asking you, why do you always study the Bible, man? Or what's up with the book of Numbers or Deuteronomy or Leviticus or, you know, for us, the book of Acts. And then you're able to share with them what? The testimony, not your testimony, the testimony of what God has done. And there's another thing that you need to take before the Lord. And that is this, to share your testimony with your kids. Now, I know some people are like, no way, I'm not going to tell my kids what I did, you know, and that, that's the conviction that you have. That's fine. You know, I don't want to necessarily get in the way of that. But most of the commentators I was reading, they were saying, hey, you, you tell your kids what God did in your life. You know, and I've told my kids not everything, but I've told them pretty much everything, almost everything. Why? Because I want them to know what God has done in my life and I want them to know what God is able to do. You know, and so my kids, they know that I used to do drugs. They know that I was involved in different things. You know, they know that's why my brain's all messed up. As a matter of fact, it's so funny because my son, he jokes around with me. He's all, Dad, did you ever study this in science? And I'd be like, no, you know what? I, I don't remember ever studying it. He's all, Dad, is it because you did drugs? Is that why <laughs> you don't remember? And on honesty, I tell him, yes, son, I believe that's why. But let me tell you something, man. I grew up like this. I, and I, it's, he, they know. And sometimes we'll tell them, and my wife will tell them some of the stories that I grew up. You know, when I was born, I actually slept in a drawer. That one always brings tears out of their eyes, you know. <laughs> Just the different things that I went through, man, in my life. And man, they are able to see the power of God. And so share with your kids what God has done. And I've shared with you guys before, and I'm going to ask you again. You know, jot down your testimony like a one-page thing, if you would. This is what God's done. You know, shoot us an email. Some of you have done it. Uh, most of you haven't. And, and let's give God the glory. Let's tell the whole world how awesome God is. Because the Jews, unfortunately, they didn't do that. 
They didn't pass the baton on to the next generation. And you read in the book of Judges that they failed in this responsibility. And so we need to make sure that we don't. One last thing before we end. Whenever you're reading the Old Testament, you've got to remember one thing. It's the Old Testament, okay? <laughs> this is the Old Covenant. Now, there are things here, obviously, that are absolutely applicable. But remember, we now live in the New Testament, okay? And right here in verse 22, where it says, Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God, as he had commanded us. Remember, that's the Old Testament. And the Old Testament was based on the law. It was. And you got to do in order to be saved, so to speak. Although there was that element of faith, your faith was manifested in keeping the ceremonial laws of the temple, the civil laws, the ceremonial laws. And when you look at that, the moral laws, you find that in the New Testament, it doesn't work that way. That our righteousness is based on what? It's based on belief. It's based on faith in Jesus Christ. And as you put your faith in him, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so I encourage you, man, if you get a chance, well, maybe you shouldn't. That uh, debate between Dennis Prager and, um, and Frank Pastore, you know, you get the Jewish view. You really do get the Jewish view. It's based on works. But the Christian view is based on what? Belief. I put my hand in Jesus' hand, and guess what happens? He takes me home. Now I will bear fruit, not in order to go to heaven, but because I'm so grateful that I'm actually going there when I die or when God raptures us. And so the gospel is clear. You guys have it on your T-shirt, right? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And for some of you here today who maybe you're not doing too good, but you know deep in your heart that you love Jesus, it's good news, man. Let it change our life. Let us go out and to live that life of purity. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. There are so many things, Lord, that are so applicable to our lives. Lord, I pray for your beautiful people that are here today that you love so much, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would minister to us and just meet us right where we're at, Lord. I pray that we would not be religious. I pray, I beg of you, Lord, I plead, Lord, for myself as well, that we would not be superficial, that we would not be respecters of persons, Lord God that we would be real, that we would be genuine. Lord, that you would work in us a love that is so overflowing, just like the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would lift up clean hands, pure hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would fall in love with you like never before, that you do a fresh work that you do a deep work within us. Lord, we do love you. We ask, I ask, Lord, for your forgiveness of any sins, anything, Lord, that, that has gotten in the way 
of that personal, intimate relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we would love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. That it would be something done deeply, something done personally, something done with an all-out intensity, Lord. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here maybe who doesn't know you or maybe, Lord, they've drifted away, that today there would be just a sweeping repentance of our sins and a turning and a trusting in the King of Kings, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. And we ask that you do a great work. And together we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.